Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I remember it clearly. I just greeted a customer and was about to start talking uh, about their, their needs in furniture. This goes back to my days uh, in college in Melbourne. And my part-time job, every student has a part-time job, was working as a salesperson on Friday nights and Saturdays in this very prestigious furniture shop in Glen Iris. And it was a great job. I was on commission, the whole thing. It was fantastic. I just greeted this customer and there was a huge screech of brakes out on Burke Road, Burke Road, Glen Iris, if you know Melbourne. It's now, that whole area has just been totally swamped by the Monash Freeway. It no longer exists. But uh, we went to the, well, I could see from, the, from where I was standing, out the windows, there were two horses that had made their way across bustling Burke Road and were basically out of control on the other side of the road, hence the screeching of brakes, these horses rushing across the road, people trying to avoid them. So uh, I decided to rush to the front door and I had to go through a few display areas before I could get to the front door. When I opened the front door, and by then quite a crowd had gathered, to my amazement, here was the principal of our college, Dr Keith Bowes, with a horse in each hand. And it suddenly hit me, oh no, these are the horses from the college, which was only about three quarters of a kilometre down the road had a big expansive area of land and we used to let a couple of young people run their horses on the college. They'd escaped. So Dr Bose had had to rush out, he lived on campus, had to rush out and get these things and he's walking toward me with two rearing horses. And he he, he was very relieved when he saw me. He said, Graham, take this. And without even, we we laughed about it afterwards. I didn't even raise an arm. I just said, oh, Dr Bose, I don't like horses. And he said, neither do I, take this. And all of a sudden I got this rearing. <laughs> oh, easy fella, easy. And like, I'm sorry to all you horsey people out there. I, I, I've, never, I've never ridden a horse, have no desire to ride a horse. I read somewhere they actually bite you if you don't like them or if they sense you don't like them. We walked those two horses about three, kilom- three quarters of a kilometre back to the college and both of us, absolutely terrified of horses. And these things kind of semi-rearing uh, all the way back. And then we kind of, I admire those people. You see them on television at the, at the race meetings. You can just walk around the, the yards with the horses like this. So envious. How do they do that? I don't know. Didn't happen for me. Guys, here's the, here's the question. Have you ever had a responsibility thrust upon you without warning? Suddenly, unexpectedly, somebody said, here, Take this, do this, we need you for this. It might have been a particular task, it might have been a, uh, a particular role, it might have been a specific challenge. And my guess is you probably found it a bit daunting. You probably found it a bit overwhelming. But then there'd be others of you who'd be saying, but you know, it was actually the making of me. You know, I, yeah, it came as a surprise, but I kind of, I rose to the occasion I embraced the challenge and I grew significantly through that. Some of you got into ministry like that. Either I, Sam, one of the leaders said, you know, we need you as a connection group leader. Oh, I've never led a group. Well, let's just believe it. You can do it. We'll give you help and support. Some of you can trace your ministries back to a, a situation just like this, where somebody said, take this. It's now your responsibility. So here's Jesus. He's with the disciples. And there's a, an incredibly significant responsibility about to be handed over to them. Uh, And it came as a total surprise 
to these disciples. We know that because of, because of verse 6 of, of chapter 1 of Acts. Look at this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So the motivation behind the question was to see if the moment had arrived when Jesus would become the king of Israel. When they drive out the Romans and Israel would be a theocracy, it's a, it's a, a nation under God and everything would be just as King David had promised. Well, <laughs> the answer Jesus gives basically, because see, these guys are uncertain about what's going to happen. Jesus has been raised to, to life. That happened about seven weeks before. But they're still very uncertain. In Matthew's account of this passage, he actually says some doubted. Some were a little bit uncertain as to exactly how all this was going to pan out. Jesus says, look, don't worry about that kingdom for now. That's not your primary concern. The kingdom we're talking about now is going to be my reign on this earth through my church, the body of Christ. It's going to be worldwide. It's going to start right here, right now. And you guys, you guys are being handed the responsibility for doing that. And uh, I believe you can do it. There's no plan B. This is Jesus. Well, and then he added, in fact, I'm about to leave. I'm about to say bye-bye. But, and it's a big but, but you will receive power. I'm not abandoning you, says Jesus. What a relief. What a relief for those guys. Enormous responsibility, but they were being promised power for the task. That would have been a great... They may have remembered something Jesus said about not leaving them without the comforter. He would be there always to to guide and to lead. Uh, I'm sure some of those, a memory of some of those teachings would have come back to them at this point. But there's that word power. Most people love power. You can do a lot with power. You can really make an impact if you've got a bit of power, a bit of influence around the place. But here's the thing. As the story of the early church unfolds, it's clear that the power Jesus promised his disciples has some very unique characteristics. It's no ordinary power. It's very different to what the world understands by that word power. Here's the first thing. It's an inner power. It's an inner power. It's different to the showy, superficial, external trappings of power we normally imagine in in our world. Uh, I, I work for BP Australia, as some of the, uh, the old timers know. You've heard me tell this story before. BP Australia was my, uh, really my only other profession apart from the ministry. I was a commercial cadet in BP Australia. I started with them in Perth, went to Brisbane, ended up in their Melbourne head office. And uh, we worked in an 18-storey building down there in Melbourne where uh, all the floors except one had scores and scores of people working in them. It was pretty, pretty cramped conditions as I recall. But we all knew the 18th floor was very different. Up on the 18th floor, that was the senior executive floor where none other than Mr. J.S. Fox, the managing director of BP Australia at that time, plus a series of other high-profile executives, they had their offices up there. We heard there were only about six of them up there with their assistants. Well, on one occasion, I had to deliver some documents to one of the PAs up there on the 18th floor. And with some trepidation, I went up there. As the lift doors opened, I thought, whoa. Whoa, just huge expanses of carpet, beautiful chairs, palm trees everywhere. Just gorgeous. This is the day, see, hierarchical leadership. This is the way they did it in corporate life in Australia in those days. So uh, I kind of put this 
this, uh, do- these documents on this lady's desk and she acknowledged it, went back to the lift well and uh, pressed the button for back to the sixth floor, my floor, and around the corner, wouldn't you know it, came J.S. Fox. And I'd seen pictures of him, never seen him in real life, but he was an imposing sort of guy, not all that tall, but uh, fairly rotund, had a moustache, had white hair that sort of curled over his collar. He looked a bit like the Monopoly man when you think about it, actually. A little bit like that. There's some parallels. Well, J.S. Fox, he had a lot of clout in BP, managing director. He came around, no acknowledgement of me whatsoever, just like I wasn't even there. He's seen, he, he, he saw I'd press the button for down. We got on board, still no acknowledgement, no words. Out comes his key, turns, woo, straight to the basement. Uh, no, where are you going, son? Uh, where do you fit in? Nothing, right? Straight to the basement. As the door opened, I saw his beautiful British racing green Mark 10 Jaguar waiting. Guy with a suit, peak cap, who opened the door and clicked his heels as J.S. Fox. Uh, that, that's, the way, that's the way power was wielded in those days when corporate Australia was run on that basis, a very strict hierarchical basis. That man wielded a lot of power. Some years later, when the energy crisis hit, he would have presided over the uh, retrenchment of hundreds of workers from the oil industry, and or particularly in the case of BP Australia. Very powerful man. Influence, authority, control. These are the things we normally associate with power. That's not how it is in the kingdom of heaven, friends. Look at Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. The writer says, How rich are the wonderful blessings he promises his people and how very great is his power at work in us, in us who believe. I really love that. Friends, it would seem that the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine has its epicenter deep within our hearts and souls. It's there we get the peace, the confidence, the hope, the love of knowing him. Over the years, some churches have mistakenly mistakenly associated the power of the Holy Spirit with external manifestations. If you've got certain gifts that are very obvious and external, like the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy, and you can, then you really have the Holy Spirit because we can see it. We can, seriously, a, a reference like, like Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 kind of blows that sort of thinking out of the water. It is the power at work in us. That's not to take anything away from any of those gifts. But if you're using those as the main measuring stick, for whether someone has the Holy Spirit or not, it's going to be disappointing. This is a deep. Uh, th- this is um, this is an area of uh, of Christianity that I've uh, thought about many times. Some of the most impressive, deeply spiritual people, most powerful people I've ever met, are not all that overwhelming on the surface of it. In fact, in most cases, they're very humble. In most cases, they're they're, they're, they're very self-effacing. But they're fantastic in terms of their discernment, their wisdom, their depth of knowledge and their depth of understanding. Some of them are in this room because I've worked with you over many years and you've, you've just had me in awe of your spiritual depth, even though there's nothing particularly showy uh, about the way you operate and the way you minister. It's just a beautiful thing to see. Here's the second thing. It's an inverse power, inverse opposite to what you expect. It defies some of the popular conceptions of power, as we've mentioned. But it's like we said, most forms of power revolve around authority, influence, strength. But listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. We know about his thorn in the flesh. He had some sort of problem, might have been physical, we don't quite know. And he prayed for it to be taken away. And the Lord said, look, I'm not going to take it away, but 
my grace will be sufficient for you. In other words, my power will help you push through whatever disability or whatever problem you feel you have. And this is what Paul says after that exchange, right? After, look at this. He says, I'm most happy then to be proud of my weaknesses, proud of my weaknesses, in order to feel the protection of Christ's power over me. Watch this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's an inverse power. It kind of, it's, it's a little weird, a little paradoxical. Now, this is a deep area of Christian thought and theology. It involves surrender. It involves submission. It involves trust. It involves vulnerability. Essentially, when we may appear to be at our weakest, sick, tired, deflated, broken, sad, vulnerable. When we're in those situations, in some instances, we are in fact at our very strongest. In 1992, a lady on the northern beaches of Sydney shocked her friends, shocked her family, amazed everybody who knew her when she decided to sell her house because she felt a strong call, a very strong call which she believed came from God to sell up and to go to northern Uganda and work among the impoverished orphans of that country. Now, for you young ones, at that time, 1992, I can tell you now, Uganda would be the last place you would ever want to go to because they were the days of the so-called Children's Army. And uh, as history records it, thousands and thousands of children of primary school age were enlisted in this army uh, to fight this rebel cause Uh, The point of entry, the qualification in some extreme examples or some extreme parts of this army, qualification, initiation was to shoot your own parents. Well documented. This lady who'd been an orphan herself just had a a compassion for, and she sold everything, went to Uganda and set up a caravan of all things in the jungle just to see what would happen. And she started to build some bridges to the locals and face all kinds of danger. But friends, today, the Irene Gleeson Foundation, and I had the privilege of meeting Irene a number of years ago in company with my friends, uh, the, the, um, the Winters. Irene Gleeson, she did a, a, an outstanding work in Uganda. They estimate that some uh, maybe 20,000 children and young people have come under the influence of her schools and hospitals and clinics. When she passed away a number of years ago, there was a huge funeral here on the, uh, on the northern beaches area of Sydney. But they tell us that in Uganda itself, well in excess of 10,000 people came out to pay their respects to Irene Gleeson. Now, how do, how do you explain that? There's a woman who was exposed in the most vulnerable way to the sort of dangers that you just wouldn't even want to... At her weakest, she was at her strongest. It was an inverse power. What happened in Uganda was powerful, but not in the way that the world would normally think of as being powerful. It's an inverse power. It's an inner power. It's an inverse power. Thirdly, it's an impregnable power. It's tough. It's resilient. It will prevail against all odds and conditions. The very best verse to bring to bear on this particular point, Philippians 4.13, here's Paul. He says, I have the strength to face all conditions. Did you get that? All conditions by the power Christ give, gives me. 
all conditions. Not just when your financial controller says, hey, whoa, you are in such good shape, man. Your investments, your super, woo, you are, you're, you're set. Not just when the doctor says, you're as fit as a fiddle. Don't want to see you for six months. Make it 12. You're fantastic. Not just when the boss says, this company has never been stronger. Man, you've got a future here. Stay with us. It's going to be great. Not just when your loved one, your spouse says, you know, I can't imagine living with anybody else but you. Can't imagine it. Not just in those conditions when anybody can be happy. Anybody can be upbeat. But the power Jesus Christ promises, friends, is when the financial controller says, you know what, it's kind of unexpected, but we're in for a little bit of a bumpy ride. And uh, we're going to have to work pretty hard on your sustainability for the future. Well, the doctor points to an x-ray and says, you know what, Um, we've got a little problem in this region here. When the boss calls you in and says, you know, um, it's just out of the blue, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're closing down your department. Um, you, you won't have a job at the end of this week. I'm pretty sorry about that. Or when the spouse says, I'm sorry, it's over. I've, I've found someone else. Uh, they're the conditions when people still draw on the power of God to get them through. And friends, I know that. Because there are people listening to me now who've experienced all of those things. Not all at one time necessarily, but all of those things and you're still here. You're still praising God. You're still praying. You're still worshipping. You're still a child of his. You've been through all this stuff. That's the power of God's got you there. This power that can't be explained. It's impregnable. You just can't. If you're drawing it, it's just there all the time. Well, here's the final thing. It's incomprehensible. It can't be fathomed. You can't explain it. You can't describe it. How did that motley crew who were handed the responsibility, how did they change world history forever? How come the church has lasted for 2,000 years despite every attempt to crunch and to crush it and to snuff out the flame of faith and we're still here? Biggest Organised religion in the world. How's that happen? It defies belief. Somebody here is going to love this story. I, 2012, Bev and I celebrated 40 years of marriage. And uh, I uh, arranged to take her to France for a month. Oh, I know. Um, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, we went to a beautiful little town in the south of France one day called Nîmes. And I know Valérie is going to be thrilled about that because Valérie Forestier, I used to love saying that name, (laughs) Valérie Forestier, uh, it's Valérie's hometown. And among the many beautiful attributes of that town, that town is famous for it, not only Valérie Forestier, (laughs) it is famous because of its amphitheatre. It's a beautiful, well, Colosseum. And it's much better preserved than the one in Rome. It's virtually a full circle. It's gorgeous. And you go on a little tour and you put the buds in and you go over the whole thing and it's fantastic. Just purely secular. Nothing, it's not a religious tour. And as you get down on the actual surface, which today is periodically used for bullfighting of all things, as you get down on the surface, the commentary comes over and says, in this arena, in the latter part of the first century, in the early part of the second century, 
Tens of thousands of Christians lost their lives right here on this surface. And they go into detail about how that was. Gladiatorial uh, battles and wild animals. And it's, then they've got graphic displays which would just make your stomach turn. And then the commentary, purely secular, says nothing the Romans threw at the early church could stop it from spreading uncontrollably throughout the Roman Empire. And you, you, you can't help but stand there and ask the inevitable question, could I, could I have done that? And I've come to realise nobody can answer that question until you're actually put in the spot. You, you can't theorise about that, I don't think. You have to be put in the spot to see if that would be the case for you and for me. Friends, the church's survival is a miracle. It really is. But we can attribute it. We can attribute the, the survival of the church to the power of Christ in ordinary people like you and me and all those who've preceded us down through the centuries. What we do know is this, Ephesians 1.20, the writer says, this power, okay, another reference to power, this power is the same as the mighty strength he used when he raised Christ from death. This is the power that is available to you and me. Power to raise and restore broken lives. Power to repair shattered dreams. Power to bring hope where there's despair, to bring forgiveness where there's bitterness. Power to bring justice where there's exploitation and abuse. Power to bring renewal where there's failure and a sense of futility. Oh, friends, we could devote a lifetime to that verse and you'd never plumb the depths. It's unfathomable incomprehensible. We carry the same power in our, in our hearts and souls as the power that raised Christ from death. You get your head around that. Well, we embrace this truth by faith and what we do know is that on one occasion, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. It's power from within. It's power that is at its strongest when we appear to be at our weakest. It's power that's impregnable. Nothing can break it if you hang on and you have faith. And it's power that's incomprehensible. There's always more to learn and there's always more to discover. Now, friends, I need that power in my life. You need that power. You need that power. You need that power. And you need that. We all need this. Life's pretty tough. Have you noticed that? You never quite know what's around the corner. If there's one thing that I've found in ministry, it is that people get through incredible issues and battles and chapters in their lives that would render most other people totally powerless and totally beaten. And they've got through it because of the power available through Jesus. If you don't know that power this morning, can I urge you to seek out somebody who can explain it to you? And who can introduce you to the one, the only one who can provide this sort of strength for living. We all need it. May we put it into action this week in everything we do. Not just this week, but forever. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.